Joe Biden openly states he will not give his position on court packing until after the election. The Commission on Presidential Debate skews the process against Trump. And Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer blames Trump for a terror plot against her. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Why haven't you gotten a VPN yet? Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. Okay, so... Now, I've been telling you a lot over the last week and a half about the poll numbers because, and I get a lot of letters from people. Why are you talking about the polls so much? Don't you know the polls are just wrong? Well, I mean, on the national level, the polls were not all that wrong in 2016. On the state level, they were wrong by a couple of points. They were not wrong by eight or 10 points. Okay, right now, the bottom line is that President Trump is trailing. That does not mean that he has no chance. It does not mean the race is over. It does mean that if I'm going to convey the most up-to-date information, you have to take into account the polling numbers, especially because polling companies generally have an interest in being as accurate as possible, even if you don't like the source of the polling. But there is one poll number today, one poll number today that suggests that Trump's chances are significantly more robust than the polls are letting on. This is a key poll. Okay, this is a poll from Gallup. It is Americans' view on whether they are better or worse off than they were four years ago. Now, given Trump's poll numbers and the fact that he is trailing, you would expect that the vast majority of Americans, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic, an economic downturn, you would imagine the majority of Americans would say that they are worse off than they were four years ago if all you had done is listen to the, the poll numbers and the media over the past few months. But here is the actual statistic. As of September 2020, 56% of Americans say they are better off than they were four years ago. 56% of Americans. Okay, that compares to 45% in December of 2012, 47% in October of 2004, 38% in October of 1992, and 44% in July of 1984. That is a very, very high number, 56%. If everybody who believes they were better off than they were four years ago voted for Trump, he would win going away. He would win a blowout victory, which suggests a couple of things. One, Maybe the polls are actually undersampling people who are somewhat enthusiastic about Trump but are not actually going to talk about it. And two, if Trump could get his personality out of the way, he would be winning this election in a walk. If you are the incumbent president and nearly six in 10 Americans believe that they are better off now than they were when you were elected, that is a great number. I mean, literally, Ronald Reagan in 1984 ran on the campaign slogan, are you better off now than you were four years ago? And the American people said yes, and they reelected him in mass numbers. The same thing could happen for Trump if all he did was focus in on his policies and the fact that Democrats have no policies, that when they do have policies, they are radical, that they refuse to state just how radical. And so the media have been reliant on a narrative, and we've been talking about this for months at this point. The narrative is orange man, bad, bad man, orange, orange, bad man. Right? Those are the variations of the theme. And the only theme they have is Trump's personality. And Trump has played into this. If Trump didn't play into this, perhaps the media would be forced to ask serious questions about Joe Biden. Yeah, maybe they wouldn't, but he would spend all of his time pressing that forward. Maybe they would be forced to ask everyday Americans about what they think about the state of the country. Because it turns out most Americans are pretty optimistic about where they are as opposed to four years ago. That is a, it's an astonishing stat. It's an unexpected stat. And it's one that should give pause to Democrats. They shouldn't be too comfortable. And it should give some shot in the arm to the Trump campaign. We'll get to more of this in just one second. The media simply refusing to ask hard questions of Joe Biden. When they do, he just ignores them. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's be real about your cell phone bill. You're paying too much money. You are. You're paying way too much money. I know. You got a cellular plan with Verizon or AT&T and T-Mobile. And you think, well, that's the only way I can get coverage. Wrong you are. You could get the same exact sort of coverage with the same exact sort of cell phone towers. And you could pay half of what you are currently paying. 
The average person who switches to Pure Talk USA is using less than four gigs of data a month, but the big carriers are charging you for unlimited data. It's like paying for an entire row on an airplane, but you only need one seat. That's how Pure Talk saves the average person over $400 a year on their wireless service. Unlimited talk, text, two gigs of data, all for just 20 bucks a month. If you go over on the data usage, they're not going to charge you for it. Folks, switching to Pure Talk, it's the easiest decision you will make today. Saving lots of money? Why wouldn't you do it? Grab your mobile phone, dial pound 250, say Ben Shapiro. When you do, you say 50% off your first month, dial pound 250, say keyword Ben Shapiro. Pure Talk, it's simply smarter wireless. Dial pound 250, say Ben Shapiro to get started. Once more, dial pound 250, get rid of that big wireless carrier, get something that is less expensive, same coverage. Dial pound 250, say keyword Ben Shapiro to get started with Pure Talk USA. Okay, so that statistic that, that Trump has made people more optimistic than they were four years ago about where they are in the country. That is, that is an, an astonishingly positive statistic for an incumbent president, but Trump is trailing in the polls. And the media have a stake, obviously. They, they hate Trump. The coverage of, of Trump for the last four years since his election, that coverage has been overwhelmingly bad. I mean, 90% of the coverage has been negative on Trump, despite all of the accomplishments, despite the fact that the economy was booming. Every single thing that Trump has done wrong has been magnified, and every single thing that he has done right has been minimized to the point where peace breaks out in the Middle East, and suddenly that is now being printed on page A18 of the New York Times. Whereas if, if Barack Obama had farted anywhere in the general region, it would have been A1 news. Anytime Barack Obama said a thing that the media loved, which was every single day, A1 news. Whenever Trump says something that they don't like, that is A1 news, but when he does something that is wonderful, that is page A18. And right now, the media are so open in their bias. It's one of the reasons why the left cannot be allowed to win this election, because the media apparatus have basically mobilized full score behind the hard radical left position while pretending to be objective at the same time. It's insulting to the American people. It's ridiculous. They've given up any pretense that they once had of objectivity, but then they gaslight you by claiming they continue to be objective journalists. They simply are not. And the best case in point of this is the fact that Joe Biden the Democratic presidential candidate, the likely next president by the polls, and his running mate, Kamala Harris, refused to answer a very simple but quite important question. Are you going to pack the Supreme Court? Are you going to add seats to the Supreme Court of the United States? Remember, that was a policy so radical that FDR in 1937, when he tried to do this, was rebuked by members of his own party. The Republicans did not control Congress at that time. Democrats overwhelmingly controlled Congress. And Democrats in Congress were like, eh, I think we're gonna like hit pause on this one. Democrats now, however, are so angry at the prospect of Amy Coney Barrett replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court because they believe the Supreme Court should just be a tool of policymaking on behalf of the left rather than a, a, a counter-majoritarian institution designed to prevent excesses that overrun your rights, which is the original design of the Supreme Court. They believe the Supreme Court should just be another tool in their arsenal, and they're so angry that they want to openly make it another tool in their arsenal. This is the game the left play, whether it's the media or whether it's the Supreme Court, whether it's the executive branch. All institutions become tools in their arsenal. At the same time, they claim that those institutions have institutional legitimacy. So they play this double game where they wreck the institutional legitimacy, but then claim that you should respect the institution because the institutional legitimacy ought to remain. And that is untenable. It is unten So Joe Biden was asked directly yesterday, again, again, about court packing. Now, remember, Kamala Harris was asked in debate just two nights ago what she would do about court packing. And she refused to answer the question. And Mike Pence kept drilling her on it. And she kept refusing to answer the question. And then eventually, she just called him a racist. So Joe Biden, standing far away from Kamala Harris in an airplane hangar in Phoenix, Arizona, he was asked specifically about court packing. And, and his answer is so unacceptable for any political candidate that it should have the media up in arms. Imagine. I mean, you don't even have to imagine it. 
Donald Trump has many, many, many times been asked about particular kind of crazy policies. And Donald Trump's go-to when there is a crazy policy suggestion that he doesn't know anything about is to say, well, we've been thinking about it. We think about all options. All options have been thought about. And the media go, oh, well, that means that he's totally for it, right? I mean, we got to take that seriously. We got to take that stuff super seriously. Now, the difference is, again, that is Trump's go-to option. But Joe Biden has thought pretty seriously about court packing. Kamala Harris came out in 2019 and talked openly about the possibility of court packing. Other members of the Democratic Party, high echelon members of the Democratic Party, have openly backed court packing. In the Democratic debates, many of the candidates said they would back court packing. Joe Biden at the time said he would not. Now he's gone completely silent on the issue, which sort of bespeaks that he may have changed his opinion. So he was asked directly yesterday. This is not the first time. He was asked last week, three separate times in a row, whether he would back court packing. He said, people are already voting. People are, are already voting. In the so yesterday he was asked about whether he would back court packing. His answer was mystery meat. It was mystery meat. What could this chicken surprise be? Is it chicken or is it frog? Who knows? You're going to find out afterward. I saw a tweet yesterday. I saw a tweet yesterday uh, characterizing Biden's response here, which is, do you take this woman for better or for worse? Do you pledge your chastity and fidelity? You'll find out after the wedding. Hey, here was Joe Biden doing this. I mean, it's unbelievable. You'll know my opinion of court packing when the election is over. Now, look, I know it's a great question, y'all, and I don't blame you for asking. But you know, the moment I answer that question, the headline in every one of your papers will be about that. Other than, other than focusing on what's happening now. That is such an unbelievably unacceptable answer. Are you going to completely delegitimize the third branch of government by making it an overtly political institution in which you just stack the court with a bunch of Democrats? And he says, well, uh, you'll find out after the election. You'll find out, you know, afterward. We have to pass the bill to find out what's in it. As Nancy Pelosi once said about Obamacare, we found out what was in it. Wasn't that great? You have to elect me to find out what I'm going to do is a crappy, unbelievably crappy response to, are you going to completely wreck the third branch of government? That's wild. That is wild stuff. And the media just sit there and they accept it. I mean, they really accept it, seriously. There, there's an article in the Washington Post today talking about how Republicans pounce. Very, very pouncy. See, here's the rule in the media, as my friend Andrew Clavin has said, when Republicans do something bad, that the bad thing is the story. When Democrats do something bad, the Republicans pouncing is the story. The Washington Post headline was, Republicans continue attacking Biden, Harris, over hypothetical court packing question. Hypothetical? It's not hypothetical when your, your own people have put it out there. When you have said that you refuse to, like, hypothetical? Imagine if somebody asked Donald Trump, are you for a federal ban on all abortions from point of conception? And he said, you know what, we'll have to, we'll have to find out after the election where I stand on that particular issue. Like, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. We're going to have to find out. Like, you think the media would be satisfied with that answer? But now it's Republicans pouncing, of course. So much pouncing. It's a hypothetical pouncing. According to the Washington Post, Democratic nominee Joe Biden and running mate Kamala Harris are facing growing pressure to say whether they would pack the Supreme Court if the Republican-led Senate names Amy Coney Barrett to the bench. Over the past few days, the question from Republicans, debate moderators, and reporters has dogged the pair. It came up again Thursday when Biden was asked at a campaign stop in Phoenix if he would support expanding the Supreme Court beyond nine justices. It re-entered the conversation in earnest after the death of RBG. Although the Republican-controlled Senate refused to consider Barack Obama's nomination in Merrick Garland in 2016, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and his allies have promised to confirm Barrett by November 3rd. Yes, because the Republicans control the executive and the legislature, or at least the Senate. In response, some Democrats have vowed to leave nothing on the proverbial table should the party take control of the White House and the Senate. 
Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer hinted he would not rule out court packing. Again, it is amazing that the Washington Post is covering this as a story of Republicans pouncing. If you were talking about the Republicans adding seats to the Supreme Court, which they could theoretically do right now, they have a majority in the, in the Senate. Presumably, the Democrats and the, and the media would not be talking about Democrats pouncing. They'd be talking about the underlying issue. But Joe Biden is so confident that the media will cover his ass for him that he refuses to answer the most basic questions knowing that he can literally get away with anything. They can ask him any question under the sun and he will say, the focus right now, the focus right now should be on, um, should be on Donald Mitchell. And the media will go, you know what? He's right. He's right. That Trump guy, he's bad. He's bad. We don't need any answer, questions answered. Like, really? We got nothing. Joe, you're, you're right. Let's go ask some questions of Donald Trump. And meanwhile... Joe Biden prepping the way for Kamala Harris to become president. So if you like what you saw in that debate, meaning if you are addled, then Joe Biden has got somebody for you. He says that Kamala Harris was really presidential. Now, the fact that he feels the need to say this demonstrates where everybody's head is at. Now, I don't remember Donald Trump saying this about Mike Pence. I don't remember George W. Bush saying this about Dick Cheney. Well, he's very, very presidential. What I remember more was he did a good job in the debate. See, the president is supposed to be presidential and the vice president is supposed to be vice presidential. But because everybody's afraid that Biden's going to plot on the job, now Biden is forced to talk about how presidential Kamala Harris is when she is, at the very least, very non-presidential. Smirky McSmirk face. Uh, by the way, love how the media treats smirking. If you're a high school student and a Native American activist comes up to your face and bangs a drum in your face and you have an awkward smile, that is a smirk. It's a smirk. It's a racist smirk. If you're Kamala Harris, and you smirk for 90 minutes against the vice president of the United States while he simply lays facts on you, and then that means that you are slaying, queen. Anyway, here was Joe Biden talking about how presidential Kamala Harris was. I uh, thought Kamala did a great job last night. She was really presidential. She stepped on focus. I was really proud of her. I'm looking forward to seeing her. Well, good news. She'll never have to answer a question, as she did in the debate. Speaking of people who will never have to answer questions, Nancy Pelosi laid out there yesterday that she wants to create a new commission that would be able to objectively evaluate the president's health and mental health and deprive him of the presidency and hand it over to the vice presidency. So number one, real backhanded slap at, slap at Joe right there. Isn't that, Nancy? I mean, if you're so confident Joe Biden is going to be elected president, it seems like kind of a slap. Like you think that, that Joe's lost his mind and you might have to hand it over to Kamala Harris. But obviously this is directed at Trump and the belief that the 25th Amendment should not be left to Trump's cabinet. Instead, it should be left to some nonpartisan body, which is to say people appointed by people by, like Nancy Pelosi. Here's Pelosi talking about changing the 25th Amendment to the Constitution to allow an outside body to evaluate whether the president of the United States ought to continue in his job, which is just insane. When we hear people saying, I'm, I'm young and I'm a perfect, perfect specimen, instead of addressing the fact that what 50,000 people were uh, in fact, it, it reports to be infected yesterday, nearly a thousand people died. What are we talking about here? Tomorrow, by the way, tomorrow, come here tomorrow. We're going to be talking about the 25th Amendment. So what exactly is she talking about? Well, right now, the 25th Amendment allows for the temporary ouster of a disabled president. It requires the active participation of a majority of the cabinet. Pelosi, however, is now saying that she wants some other body to determine whether, in fact, the president of the United States ought to, ought to be ousted from his job. Pelosi and Representative Jamie Raskin of Maryland said in a press release they will introduce a bill creating a commission to evaluate the presidential mental and physical fitness. The bill would change 
to establish a commission on presidential capacity to discharge the powers and duties of office that would enable Congress to help ensure effective and uninterrupted leadership in the highest office in the executive branch of government. So in other words, they're no longer going to have to in any way impeach. Now they will just go to the Commission on Presidential Capacity to Discharge the Powers and Duties of Office, and they will evaluate whether the President of the United States is, uh, is actually worthy of continuing in his job. By the way, that addled octogenarian, she's, she's totally fine. Right? We're told that Donald Trump has lost his mind, but Joe Biden, who will not answer a single question and can't get through seven sentences without nearly falling off his feet, and Nancy Pelosi, who has not said a coherent thing in at least two years, these are the people who should decide whether Donald Trump gets to stay in his job after a, a duly elected president becomes the president. These are, these are institutional attacks on, on the Republican government. And I don't mean big R Republican, I mean small R Republican. These are institutional attacks. But the good news is the media hates Trump so much that they will just ignore all of them. In a second, we're going to get to more scandal dogging the Biden campaign that the media simply will never ask Joe Biden about. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about hair loss. So, Here's the reality. A huge percentage of dudes, two out of three dudes, will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they are 35. And you got to keep the hair that you have because it is very difficult to regrow hair. In my family, male pattern baldness runs on both sides of my family, and that is why I rely on Keeps. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They make it easy. They deliver your medication every three months so you can say goodbye to pharmacy checkout lines and awkward doctor visits. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. You may have tried them before, probably never for this price. Again, prevention is key because once you start seeing the hair fall out, a mm, little too late. Keeps treatments typically take between four to six months to see results. It's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you will save. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors and more than 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medication. If you are ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go over to keeps.com slash men. Receive your first month of treatment for free. That is K-E-E-P-S dot com slash men. Keeps.com slash men to keep the hair that you have. Okay, meanwhile, stories that are just not going to be covered in the media other than, you know, a quick blurb. It turns out that Devon Archer, you haven't heard of Devon Archer. He was the business partner of Hunter Biden. Now it turns out he's going to jail. So imagine that the business partner of Donald Trump Jr. were going to jail today. And let's assume Donald Trump Jr. had been jet-setting around the globe, picking up bags of cash on behalf of his, while using the name of his president and father. Wouldn't that be like a big scandal? Wouldn't it be? But apparently, Hunter Biden is a complete non-story. And the fact that Hunter Biden's business partner is now headed off to jail for fraud, that, of course, is a non-story as well. The Wall Street Journal reports today, a federal appeals court reinstated the conviction of a former business associate of Hunter Biden on securities fraud and conspiracy charges, ruling a lower court judge aired last year in vacating a jury's verdict. A three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit ruled that Devon Archer, quote, knew at least the general nature and extent of the scheme and intended to bring about its success. The fraud involved the sale of $60 million in bonds issued by an economic development corporation affiliated with the Native American tribe. The proceeds were misused by Archer and others, according to prosecutors. Archer and Biden were business partners. At various times, they served together on the board of the Ukrainian gas producer Burisma Holdings. Hunter Biden's name was invoked at various stages of the fraud as a selling point in transactions, according to trial testimony. But the son of the Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden, didn't know about it, was not involved with that particular scheme, according to Hunter Biden's attorneys. Federal prosecutors never alleged that Hunter Biden was aware of the scheme. However, he was deeply involved with Devon Archer in a variety of businesses where they were traveling around the globe, picking up bags of cash in foreign countries. This, of course, will never be asked. According to, according to Joe Biden, Hunter is pure as the driven snow, so that, that will never be asked. Meanwhile, Donald Trump may never get the chance to ask some of these questions about court packing or about anything else. 
because, of course, the Commission on Presidential Debate announced unilaterally without consulting medical authorities that they were simply going to cancel the second presidential debate, essentially. They were going to make it a Zoom debate. Well, normally, in order to do that, they said for health reasons, wouldn't you have to consult some doctors in order to do that? Well, apparently, they didn't even bother to do so. It turns out that today, the, the doctor for the president, Sean Conley, released a health update on Trump. So today, the president has completed his course of therapy for COVID-19 as prescribed by his team of physicians. This afternoon's vital signs were heart rate 69 beats a minute, blood pressure 127 over 81, which is quite healthy, respiratory rate 15 to 17 breaths a minute, and pulse oximetry 96 to 98% room air. Since returning home, his physical exam has remained stable and devoid of any indications to suggest progression of illness. Overall, he's responded extremely well to treatment without evidence on examination of adverse therapeutic effects. Saturday will be day 10 since Thursday's diagnosis. Based on the trajectory of advanced diagnosis the team has been conducting, I fully anticipate the president's safe return to public engagements at that time. So in other words, Trump can do public events, according to his own doctors, by Saturday. Doesn't matter. The, the commission on presidential debate decided it was going to be a Zoom debate for no apparent reason. Like really, apparently there is no actual health reason why they had to do this. And, no, and good news, the media, of course, go right along with this, which is not a shock at all. ABC News has announced a town hall for Joe Biden, moderated by George Stephanopoulos, the partisan hack, Keebler elf, George Stephanopoulos, who has spent the last several weeks simply playing offense on behalf of the Biden campaign, a guy who two nights ago suggested that, that Mike Pence was mansplaining to Kamala Harris. Now he's going to moderate a town hall. Another propaganda feat for Joe Biden on ABC News, October 15th. The primetime event will take place in Philadelphia, where the former VP will answer questions from voters. So I, I do love the fact that um, apparently Biden is going to fly in. He will be at the live event with George Stephanopoulos. I don't think he's going to be there virtually. That's OK. But if there's a debate, that's not OK. Mm -hmm. Speaking of bias in this entire process, there's another presidential debate moderator who has fallen under scrutiny. His name is Steve Scully. He once interned for Joe Biden, apparently. Which is, like, come on. Like, this is this is just absurd. They should get rid of the Commission on Presidential Debates. It's a joke. Steve Scully raised eyebrows Thursday night with a tweet that is causing critics to question his objectivity, according to Fox News. Scully is best known as political editor of C-SPAN and host of Washington Journal. He apparently meant a direct message for Anthony Scaramucci. He tweeted out, Scaramucci, should I respond to Trump? That message was, of course, directed at Anthony Scaramucci. Scully was set to moderate a town hall debate on October 15th. And that sparked confusion and fury among critics. Odd thing for the next debate moderator to tweet, political reporter Alex Thompson reacted. I mean, that should be pretty disqualifying. You literally have a debate moderator who's asking one of Trump's most vocal critics how he should deal with Trump openly on Twitter. Wild stuff. This all of this debate moderation nonsense needs to stop. As I said yesterday, the best form of debate, honestly, would just be to have like Rachel Maddow and me ask questions. At least you know you're going to get harsh questions from both sides of the aisle at this point. Meanwhile, did Joe Biden answer any questions on what he thinks the debate should look like? Of course not. Joe Biden has never answered a question. He need not answer a question. Here was Joe Biden asking about the debate and being asked about the debate and saying it's irresponsible for him to comment. Literally, his entire campaign is here I am in a mask and glasses. That's his entire campaign. Here I am. I'm an alive human. Now, I've said for a long time, being an alive human might be enough, but it says something about our political media that that's all they demand of Joe Biden. So they asked him about, you know, how the debate should take place. And instead of him saying, follow the science as he normally does, right, listen to the doctors as he normally does. Now he's like, well, I have no answers for you. 
You know, carry on your day. Here is Joe Biden. We don't know what the president's going to do. He changes mind every second. So for me to comment on that now would be irresponsible. I think that if I'm going to follow the commission recommendation, if he goes off and he's going to have a rally, I'll, 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 I don't know what I'll do. So he says, I love that. I love that. He says, if he goes out and he has a rally, then uh, I don't know what I'll do, which is a, an open suggestion that he knows that Trump is healthy. <laughs> he still won't have the debate. Amazing. There was talk about how Biden was going to try and avoid the debate. Well, now the Commission on Presidential Debate has just done the work for him by putting forth this Zoom debate nonsense. In just a second, we'll get to Trump's response to all of that. First, let us talk about the fact that you need better employees. Hell, I need better employees. I mean, let's suggest that you wanted to start your show on time. It was a very important day to start your show on time. But your lead producer was too busy going to the bathroom. I mean, here at The Daily Wire, we do not allow you to go to the bathroom, except in accordance with National Labor Relations Act restrictions. Okay, and, and let, let's just be real about this. Producer Colton, that's on your time, man. It's on your time. Let's say that you needed to replace Producer Colton because he could not control his bathroom. That means you need to head on over to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter will send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and then actively invites them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter makes hiring efficient and effective with features like screening questions to filter candidates and an all-in-one dashboard where you can review and rate your candidates. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the very first day. Right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can head on over to ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. It is the way to upgrade your staff, even wonderful employees like Colton, who apparently suffer from some sort of uh, some sort of medical issue. Go check me out, ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. Yeah, that got kind of harsh on Colton, I feel like. Just a little harsh. Anyway, anyway, speaking of, of harsh, the Commission on Presidential Debate, pretty obviously bailing out Joe Biden here. Uh, President Trump said, listen, it's pretty obvious here they're trying to protect Biden. I mean, yes, yes. Here was, here was Trump yesterday. They didn't even tell at, us at about the debate, the, Maria. So you just learned this this morning? Yeah, we learned it the same way you learned it. They called up uh, two minutes ago and uh, it was announced. And uh, they're, they're trying to protect Biden. Everybody is. They're trying like that NBC disaster where he went on a this show with Lester Holt, it was like it was meant for a child. OK, that is 100 percent true. By the way, Trump has had an alternative suggestion and Biden hasn't taken him up on it. So Trump's reelection campaign released a statement pointing out that Trump will be medically cleared for safe return by Saturday. He said there is therefore no medical reason why the Commission on Presidential Debates should shift the debate to a virtual setting, postpone it or otherwise alter it in any way. Commission on Presidential Debate Chairman Frank Ferencop admits they consulted with no one before unilaterally changing the format of the debate well in advance of knowledge of what the president's condition would be on debate night. The commission must stop protecting Joe Biden from this in-person debate and allow the event to proceed as it was agreed to months ago. The American people can see through this obvious attempt to shield Biden from another shellacking like he got two weeks ago in Cleveland. CPD must reverse course and let the debate proceed. That, of course, is correct. Apparently, Trump is also proposing an alternative, which is, okay, let's hold the second debate, October 22nd. It was supposed to be October 15th and October 22nd for second and third debates. He's saying, instead, let's just delay everything by a week. You're so worried about it? Fine. We'll do the second debate, the 22nd. We'll do the third debate, October 29th. And Biden's campaign's like, yeah, but that's too close to the election. You can't have it both ways, guys. You've been claiming that you can't answer simple questions because voting is already underway. So if voting's already underway, what do you care how close to the actual election date any of this is? That makes no difference. People have been early voting for months, according to you. 
Okay, meanwhile, in, in other news, and this again goes to media bias, it goes to the, the really bad faith of Democrats. It's really amazing. It's really amazing. So I have been extremely consistent on my perspective on the connection between political rhetoric and violence. My perspective has been clear for literally years. Okay, here's the perspective. If you are not openly advocating violence, if you're not advocating violence, you're not responsible for violence. And if somebody misuses your words to go do something evil, you are not responsible for them misusing your words to go do evil. Also, you cannot impute to somebody motive that they did not actually show. Meaning that if somebody goes and does something and they have nothing to do with me or Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump or Barack Obama, you cannot then claim that they have something to do with us. You cannot do that. Okay, because that is unfair and it is wrong. There is, there is something called the scope of agency in law. There's a concept called scope of agency. Scope of agency is where I deploy an agent to go do X. Right? I want, I want producer Colton to go, to, to go pick up something at FedEx for the purposes of the studio. He is now my agent and going to pick up the thing at FedEx for purposes of the studio. Okay, if Colton then for some odd reason decides to go out and do cocaine on the side of the road, that is outside the scope of agency. I'm not implying anything about Colton's activities right now. Colton's really taking it on the shin today. The, the, the fact is that outside the scope of agency is outside the scope of agency. Well, there is no agency when someone decides to commit a terror attack against a sitting governor in the United States. Okay, it's not like Donald Trump was like, you know what, guys? I want you to go perform a terrorist attack. The reason that I am bringing this up is because the media and the Democrats are now claiming that Donald Trump is responsible for an attempted kidnapping plot against Governor Christine, uh, Governor Gretchen Whitman. Okay, so, Whitmer, rather. Governor Gretchen Whitmer. According to the Detroit Free Press, the Wolverine Watchmen Militia Group didn't just plot to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer. They were on a mission to attack the state capitol and target police officers at their homes as part of a broader mission to instigate a civil war, according to authorities. Thursday, they announced this in announcing felony charges against 13 militia members accused in a sensational case of domestic terrorism. Attorney General Dana Nessel referred to the accused as extremists who are hoping to recruit new members by seizing on a moment of civil unrest to wreak havoc on the country. She identified the militia group as the Wolverine Watchmen, whose members are accused of, among other things, conducting surveillance outside Whitmer's vacation residence, using code language and encrypted messages to throw off police, and planting a bomb under a bridge to divert law enforcement. So obviously, an act of tremendous evil they were planning here. Nestle said there's been a disturbing increase in anti-government rhetoric and the reemergence of groups that embrace extremist ideologies. This is more than just political disagreement or passionate advocacy. Some of these groups' mission is simply to create chaos and inflict harm upon others. Okay, so the, the implication the media have drawn from this is that because these people were anti-government and wanted to start a civil war and were members of a, what would be probably termed a far-right militia, that they must have been Trump fans or that Trump instructed them to do all of this or something like that, which is like Republicans claiming that the congressional baseball shooting is the responsibility of Bernie Sanders because a Bernie Sanders fan went and shot members of Congress and nearly killed Steve Scalise. But here's the thing. The right generally refrains from this. The left is not. The left tried to blame the Oklahoma City bombing on Rush Limbaugh. Now the left is attempting to blame this kidnapping plot on Donald Trump. The Wolverine Watchmen group is one of an estimated two to three dozen Michigan militia groups. Some fear could pose a growing threat, according to the Detroit Free Press. The state has always been a hotbed for militia activities, says Amy Cooter, senior lecturer at Vanderbilt University. Thursday, law enforcement arrested 13 people, including seven members of Wolverine Watchmen. Apparently, they wanted to kidnap her, take her to Wisconsin, and put her on trial for treason. The conspirators were frustrated and upset about many things, including the fact that during the pandemic, the state was controlling gym openings. They called Whitmer a tyrant B-word and sought to train and recruit others into their ranks. 
More than a dozen people, investigators said, met in Dublin, Ohio, and sought to form, quote, a society that followed the U.S. Bill of Rights and where they could be self-sufficient. They discussed peaceful and violent ways to do this. Well, you know what is not in the U.S. Bill of Rights? Um, actually kidnapping, sitting members of the government, and then attempting to execute them. It turns out these people uh, can't read, apparently. They believe state governments were violating the Constitution, and they talked about murdering tyrants or taking a sitting governor. The Wolverine Watchmen was founded by Pete Musico, 42, and Joseph Morrison, 26, who lived together in Munich, Michigan, and are now each charged with a threat of terrorism. Throughout the summer, the combined group decided they needed firearms and tactical training and homemade bombs to blow up police vehicles and 200 men to storm the Capitol and take hostages. They also discussed a shooting at the governor's vacation home. And so most of, by the way, most of the militia groups in Michigan, according to this professor, are law abiding. So not all militia groups are the same. Here is the prosecutor saying that their plan was a civil war. What they actually wanted was tremendous levels of, uh, of violence in the streets. The individuals in custody are suspected to have attempted to identify the home addresses of law enforcement officers in order to target them, made threats of violence intended to instigate a civil war, and engaged in planning and training for an operation to attack the Capitol building of Michigan and to kidnap government officials, including the governor of Michigan. Okay, so this prompted Governor Gretchen Whitmer to say that this was all Trump's fault. So th this is an incredible thing. It really is. I mean, it's like if Republicans had come out after the congressional baseball shooting and overtly blamed Bernie Sanders. No one did this. Only members of the left get away with this kind of crap implying that their political opponents are responsible for acts of violence of which they not only do not approve, but in this case, Trump's DOJ was intimately involved in the actual prosecution here. But here is Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, it's pretty, it is pretty despicable to claim that your political opponents are responsible for acts of violence against you. Not the ones who are actually performing the violence, but people, broadly speaking, who oppose your lockdown policies. But that's exactly what Gretchen Whitmer does right here. Just last week, the President of the United States stood before the American people and refused to condemn white supremacists and hate groups like these two Michigan militia groups. When our leaders speak, their words matter. They carry weight. When our leaders meet with, encourage, or fraternize with domestic terrorists, they legitimize their actions, and they are complicit. Okay, so I have a question then. If we are now going to use this logic, presumably the entire Democratic leadership is responsible for the excesses of Black Lives Matter who've been burning down cities. Again, Bernie Sanders is responsible for the congressional baseball shooting. This would make Barack Obama responsible for the Dallas police shootings that happened back in 2016. It would make Barack Obama responsible for the riots that happened in Milwaukee. But we, we can play this game all day long. We can play it all day. Okay, but this game is a stupid game and it's an immoral game. And as a game, apparently Democrats get away. And the media just backed them. Tim Alberta of the Washington Post. He tweeted out, if the president read his intel briefings and understood the dogma of white nationalist groups, he'd realize that language like liberate Michigan is read as tacit permission, if not explicit encouragement for militias to take action. Okay, you remember that, that back in the middle of the pandemic, April 17th, Trump tweeted out in all capital letters, liberate Michigan. And I at the time was like, this seems like kind of a dumb tactic. Like, why don't you make a policy and then tell people what your policy is? But- you know, liberate Michigan is not a call to do violence against the Michigan government. Amy Siskind, who is another member of the left-wing media, she tweeted out, the FBI thwarted what they described as a plot to violently overthrow the government and kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The plot was hatched by Michigan militia. Recall the liberate Michigan and repeated rhetoric from Trump. 
Members of the media were not shy about this. Keith Boykin of CNN, he said, Trump calls CNN the enemy of the people. Caesar Sayoc sends pipe bombs to CNN. Trump tweets about anarchists and agitators. Kyle Rittenhouse kills two people in Kenosha. Trump tweets, liberate Michigan. Six men try to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Okay, so number one, if you say that CNN is quote unquote the enemy of the people, I've decried that language because frankly, I don't think that you should use the language of Joseph Stalin to describe members of the media. Okay, that does not mean you are responsible for people then threatening the media with acts of violence. Any more than the Democrats have been calling Trump, they're calling him a traitor and a, and a person who is giving incentive to murder. Now, if somebody goes and tries to assassinate the president of the United States on that basis, I still don't think Keith Boykin's responsible for that. By the way, linking Kyle Rittenhouse with any of this is, is absurd. Kyle Rittenhouse did not go to Kenosha to murder anybody. So even listing him there is just, in this list is just absurd on its face. Liberate Michigan is not, is there any evidence that we have seen that it was that tweet that had anything to do with anything? Like seriously, did, did at some point, shouldn't you actually require some evidence? There's more evidence that a congressional baseball shooter was mimicking the language of Bernie Sanders than there is that these guys were following Trump's lead, especially because the alleged ringleader declared Donald Trump an enemy openly. He didn't like Trump. He thought Trump was a cuck. Right? He, wanted, he, he wanted civil war. He wanted unrest because he believed that it was up to the militias to liberate the country. Here is the alleged ringleader literally calling Donald Trump an enemy. But we ignore all of this, of course, because the narrative has to be promulgated. Trump is not your friend, dude. And it's it amazes me that people actually like believe that when he's shown over and over and over again that he's a tyrant. Every single person that works for government is your enemy. Okay, so Donald Trump's the president, calls him a tyrant, used exactly the same language that he used about Gretchen Whitmer. Does not matter. According to the media, this is all Trump's fault. This is how despicable the media are. I mean, truly despicable. And the fact that Gretchen Whitmer gets away with that, that's a despicable thing to say. It's a despicable thing to say. It is gross at the highest level. I think that Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar are horrific cretins and anti-Semites. I do not think they are calling openly for violence against Jews in the United States. And I would not blame Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib if some terrorist, some Islamist terrorist decided to kill Jews. I would not blame Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. I can condemn their rhetoric without suggesting that they are calling for open violence against Jews. Okay, you can do the same thing with, believe it or not, you can make these distinctions. Nuance is allowed in politics, but here's the point. Lack of nuance is the goal. It is not a bug in the system. It is a feature for Democrats and for the media. They love the lack of nuance. And they love being able to cast Trump as some sort of terrorist ringleader on, on the basis of nothing. I mean, it's just, it, it's, yuck, yuck, gross. Okay, we'll get to more of this in just one second. Of course, this is all about creating a more uh, a broader overall narrative, which is, again, making the election referendum on Trump personally and making Trump a stand-in for supposed American racism. And if the, if the square peg does not fit into the round hole, then you just hammer away at the peg until it fits into the hole. We're going to see this in just a second. America is racist. America is evil. And it doesn't matter how you have to get to that conclusion. And you have to, how you get to the conclusion that Trump is the ringleader of this racist, evil America, you just keep hammering away. You just keep hammering away. And the media are doing it. Our business leaders are doing it. The, the culture clash in this country is getting to the point where it is getting almost unbridgeable. We'll talk about more of this in just one second. First, as you may have noticed, this is a really important election year. A really important election year. We've got Senate races, okay? The Senate races are going to decide whether the Democrats are able to add new states to the Senate, pack the Supreme Court. You got a presidential race in which President Trump is running against Joe Biden, and Joe Biden refuses to answer simple questions about how radical he is going to be, and the stuff he has already said in his platform is damned radical enough. 
If you're a conservative, you need to get active. The number one question I get from folks is how can I get more active? What can I do? I'm telling you right now, you need to go to keepamericaamerica.com right now. Voting has already started in some states and is about to start in others. If you live in Ohio, early in-person voting began 28 days before the election. In Arizona, it is 27 days before the election. So you need to go to keepamericaamerica.com right now. They will get you the most trusted, up-to-date voting information. While you're there, please commit to take one person to the polls, just one, or help them complete a mail-in ballot. The 2016 election was decided by thousands of votes, not millions. This could be a very close election again. Every little bit helps. You need to do your part. Go to keepamericaamerica.com right now. Make this the biggest get-out-to-vote effort in conservative history. That's keepamericaamerica.com. Go check them out right now, keepamericaamerica.com. Okay, in just a second, we're going to get to the broader, overarching narrative Democrats are trying to draw every data point will be skewed and twisted to fit the narrative that Trump is a racist and a stand-in for racist America. A deeply divisive and disgusting message. We'll get to more of this in just a second, but first. Earlier this week, I told you guys about a conference taking place at the end of October, Expert Ownership Live. It's a virtual two-day event about leadership through crisis. The conference will be hosted by David and Jason Benham, more commonly known as the Benham Brothers. I know the Benham Brothers. They are excellent conservatives. They are people who actually remember them from home and garden TV. They had a show there. And then it turns out they were conservative Christians and HGTV was like, well, we can't deal with those people. And they stood on principle. I'm excited to tell you that both brothers, David and Jason, are going to be special guests appearing on All Access Live tonight. Get on there. You can talk to them about the current state of business, how to build a multi-million dollar company, and you can ask about their past experience as minor league baseball players, which is kind of fun. These guys are great, a lot of fun to hang out with. So if you aren't a member yet, it is time to join the ranks as an all-access member. Use code Benham right now to get 20% off. Remember, only all-access members get to join these all-access live sessions where a Daily Wire host hops on during the week to chat with you on live stream and in the comments. The all-access membership also features not one. But you, leftist tiers tumblers, with your membership as well as early, sometimes exclusive access to new Daily Wire products. So use code Benham right now. Get 20% off if you're not already a member and join the Benham Brothers live. You don't want to miss another great episode of the Sunday special, by the way, coming up this weekend. This weekend, we're joined by Daily Wire's very own God King, Jeremy Boring. It has finally happened. Jeremy and I will talk about how we started working together, what his sad, dull life was like before we started working together, how we launched the Daily Wire, where we go from here. Take a look at this amazing trailer. The worst moment for our business came when we were, the, the company was generating $28, $29 million that year, and we almost lost the business. Because even success can destroy a company. And what we were dealing with at that moment is success was destroying our company. Head on over and watch at dailywire.com, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, it is indeed that glorious time of the week when I give a shout out to a Daily Wire member. Today, it's Pence's Headfly on Twitter, who is not prepared for the incoming tear duct tsunami. In the pick, the world's greatest beverage vessel is sitting in a baking pan to help contain the bountiful harvest of tears. The caption reads, I don't know what happened. Pence asked Harris about packing the court and it just started overflowing. I gotta, I gotta find a bucket. Be right back. Hashtag leftist tears tumbler. Hashtag VP debate. Well, perhaps Cardi B can help you find both a bucket and a mop. Yes, the leftist tears were indeed flowing. Well done, Vice President Pence. Thanks for the shout out. Thanks for being a Daily Wire member. You are listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Alrighty, so there is a broader overarching narrative that the Whitmer allegations tie into, and that is that America is a deeply racist place filled with white supremacist racists who are being emboldened by the president of the United States, and Democrats are fighting back against this, hor this horrific infrastructure in the United States. And corporate America has joined in on this ridiculous quest. 
The media are all in on all of this. All you have to do is just cast your reason out to the side. All you have to do is just become completely blind, deaf, and dumb to the actual real world in order to believe this kind of crap. So a few examples. Karen Atia, who's just an awful columnist over at the Washington Post, and she's a woman of color herself. I believe that she was up for the, the Pulitzer Prize at one point, but she is definitely a victimized human. She writes on uh, international affairs and social issues. She has a piece today titled, America Hates to Let Black Women Speak, all about how Mike Pence kept man-interrupting, man-interrupting Kamala Harris. Karen Atia says it's hard to break glass ceilings while walking on a tightrope, but in her historic debate appearance on Wednesday, that's exactly what Kamala Harris had to do. That plexiglass had to be installed for the showdown between Harris and Vice President Pence was a visible reminder that the Trump administration has recklessly played down a deadly virus. The plexiglass was also an onstage reminder of the barriers that non-white women face when vying for political power in this country. Is that what the plexiglass was? Was it? Because um, it's plexiglass. So uh, it, it was a visible reminder was the plexiglass. Very, very interesting stuff. Also, just going to note, by most counts, she actually talked more than he did. Also, is it really true that America hates to let black women speak? Oprah Winfrey is a very, very rich black woman. She's been a very, very rich black woman, maybe the most powerful and influential cultural voice in America over the past 30 years. Because America hates to let black women speak. Michelle Obama is the most popular woman in America by polling data. She happens to be a black woman. Does America hate to let black women speak? The main reason that Kamala Harris was selected as vice president is for her race and her gender. That's not me saying that. Joe Biden said it. He said he wanted a black woman. Right, so is it because America hates to let black women speak? The amount of stupidity that you have to fall prey to to believe this narrative is truly astonishing. But don't worry, it's not just our media that push this nonsense. It is also the, the business apparatus because businesses everywhere have decided that it is their job to go woke, that the woker they get, the more money they will make. Now, I think they are mistaken in this particular assessment. I think that the woker they get, the more people are gonna tune out and find alternative ways of doing business. But here is the latest from corporate America, which again is risk averse. And all they do is listen to the squeakiest wheel. That's all they do is listen to the squeakiest wheel, which is why eventually the right wing is going to get kind of squeaky as well. And then corporate America is going to have to make a choice. Do you wish to simply ignore all the squeaky wheels, which is what you should do in order to provide your product and services to people? Or are you just going to appeal to some squeaky wheels and ignore the other squeaky wheels? In which case you will end up with two separate business lines. The reason I bring this up is because Yelp today announced the dumbest policy I have ever seen a major corporation announced. This is the stupidest policy I have ever heard. Yelp is now going to allow consumer alerts. You will be alerted if somebody alleges that a business has engaged in racism. I'm not kidding. So some crazy person walks into the local Mickey D's and then pretends that somebody wrote a racist thing on their receipt. This has happened like a thousand times now in the media. Yelp will now report that on the page and issue a consumer alert that perhaps this business is the site of racism based on an unsourced, unverified allegation by random user. I can't imagine how people would misuse this. I can't imagine that people would attempt to shake down businesses by basically saying, you know what you could do? You could, you know, give me like a, a free coupon or I could just go on Yelp and I could allege that you guys are mean to black people. I can't imagine that anybody would misuse this kind of thing. According to Yelp, quote, when we notice an unusual spike on an inactivity on a business's Yelp page, our team of moderators will investigate and temporarily, and temporarily disable content as we place an alert on the business's page to warn users that some of these reviews may not be based on firsthand experiences. But here's what we will do when an incident involving racism occurs. 
will default to a general public attention alert to inform consumers if someone associated with the business was accused of or the target of racist behavior. We'll only escalate to a business accused of racist behavior alert when there's resounding evidence of egregious racist actions from a business owner or employee, such as using overtly racist slurs or symbols. This alert will always link to a news article from a credible media outlet so users can learn more. Oh, so they'll launder all this crap through CNN. Great. So as soon as you have a credible news outlet, namely a left-wing news outlet that accuses Mickey D's of racism, then you'll just link to it, and then you'll issue an alert, a business accused of racist behavior alert. If somebody is accused of racism, however, there will just be a public attention alert. So there, you don't even need evidence. A public attention alert, will I can't imagine how this will be abused. Cannot imagine it. And you're seeing this kind of crap emerge at corporations around the country. You already saw Uber earlier this year suggest that they were going to give special discounts to black-owned businesses, which, by the way, I believe is federally illegal. I don't think that you actually are allowed to discriminate on the basis of race in pricing. It's an amazing, amazing thing. But according to Yelp, communities have always turned to Yelp in reaction to current events at the local level. As the nation reckons with issues of systemic racism we've seen in the last few months, there is a clear need to warn consumers about businesses associated with egregious, racially charged actions to help people make more informed spending decisions. Oh, is there? Is there now? Uh, yes, the, no way this is misused. Probably it'll be great. Probably it'll be great. Okay, meanwhile, how endemic is systemic racism? I mean, when I talk about the media and the corporate complex, pushing this notion that America is systemically racist and that if you don't say that America is systemically racist, you yourself are racist. I mean it. Okay, th There's an article today from the Washington Post that is so absurd on its face that it ought to be completely disregarded. It will not be. It is part of a six-article series from the Washington Post titled Born with Two Strikes, How Systemic Racism Shaped George Floyd's Life and Hobbled His Ambition. Okay, now let's be real about George Floyd. Whatever happened to George Floyd, and it looks to me like excessive use of a police force to sit on the guy's neck for eight minutes and 40 seconds. Okay, but that's excessive use of force. The, the case for murder is a lot shoddier. In fact, even the case for excessive force may not be shoddy depending on whether he was suffering from excited delirium. Okay, whatever the case is with George Floyd, George Floyd was not some wonderful person who was, who was bound for glory in American life, but then was thwarted by systemic racism in America. That is not what happened to George Floyd. What happened to George Floyd can be a tragedy. It could also be a crime, but that does not mean that America is responsible for his personal failures throughout the course of his life. The Washington Post tries to claim that George Floyd was bound for the Supreme Court. I kid you not. I'm not kidding you. Here are the first words. George Floyd did time in jail for pointing a gun at a pregnant woman's stomach. By the way, the woman, I believe, was of color. He pointed a gun at her stomach during an armed robbery. But according to the Washington Post, that's just because of systemic American racism. I, I'm dead serious. This is the idiotic narrative. You ready? His life began as the last embers of the civil rights movement were flickering out. Its horrific videotaped end ignited the largest anti-racism movement since, with demonstrators the world over marching for racial justice in his name. During the 46 years in between, George Perry Floyd came of age as the strictures of Jim Crow discrimination in America gave way to an insidious form of systemic racism, one that continually undercut his ambitions. Early in life, he wanted to be a Supreme Court justice, then a pro athlete. At the end, he just longed for a little stability, training to be a commercial truck driver. All were bigger dreams than he was able to achieve in his version of America. Weird, because Clarence Thomas grew up in the uh, home of sharecroppers and ended up on the Supreme Court. Condoleezza Rice went to a church that was firebombed by racists. It turns out that Oprah Winfrey grew up in tremendous, she was a single mom in tremendous poverty. She ended up kind of successful. 
Michelle Obama's been pretty successful. Barack Obama's been pretty successful. But George Floyd was hobbled by systemic... He was going to be a Supreme Court justice was George Floyd. It just ended up by coincidence that he was in and out of jail for nearly all of his adult life and that he ended up with uh, dying with more fentanyl in his system than a horse could handle. I mean, like, this is the most absurd contention. It's absurd. While Floyd's lifespan coincided with many advancements for black Americans, says the Washington Post, some of them dramatic, his personal path highlights just how much these hard-fought gains remain out of reach for millions like him. My mom, she always used to tell us growing up in America, you already have two strikes. As a black man, Floyd's younger brother, Philanese, said in an interview, you're going to have to work three times as hard as anybody else if you want to make it in the world. Like many black Americans, Floyd was behind long before he was born. And the whole thing is about how George Floyd was a victim throughout his life. Now, again, let's be real about this. The end of his life can be a tragedy. And also his entire life can be a series of bad decisions. Okay, his, his entire adult life appears to be a series of bad decisions. And yet, again, this is the fault of white America. It's the fault of white America. Uh, amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. But this is the narrative that the media are attempting to draw. The, the narrative that's being drawn by people up to and including Michelle Obama is that America is racist and terrible and that people who are protesting are not, in fact, rioters and looters. They are just wonderful, peaceful protesters. And we have to ignore the rioting and the looting because of the greater point, which is that America is so systemically racist that Michelle Obama is probably the best-selling author of the last 15 years in the United States, a frontrunner for the presidential nomination for the Democrats if Joe Biden does not win, or even if Joe Biden leaves office at some point, it's, it's hard to be. It, it's, it's so terrible to be a black person in America that literally the most admired people in America are nearly universally black at this point. And Barack Obama is black. Michelle Obama is black. LeBron James is black. Look at a field in the United States and you will see black faces in positions of power, which is a great thing. It speaks to the tolerance of America, the diversity of America. It speaks to the fact that we have an open meritocracy. That is an excellent, excellent thing. But according to Michelle Obama and the Democrats, again, America is systemically racist and systemically evil. So racist and evil that people like George Floyd, according to the Washington Post, are victims of systemic American racism. Again, the Washington Post printed an actual article claiming that George Floyd's life was a series of misadventures because of systemic American racism, not because he was a repeat criminal who was in and out of jail nearly his entire adult life. So here was Michelle Obama just a couple of days ago, downplaying, rioting and looting, pretending that they don't exist in a, in a video where she was calling Trump and America, by extension, completely racist. They're stoking fears about black and brown Americans, lying about how minorities will destroy the suburbs, whipping up violence and intimidation. And they're pinning it all on what's been an overwhelmingly peaceful movement for racial solidarity. It's true. Research backs it up. Only a tiny fraction of demonstrations have had any violence at all. Only a tiny fraction. Hundreds have had violence. Hundreds have had violence. A tiny fraction. The study that she's talking about suggested that only about 7% of the protests across the United States devolved into actual violence. Oh, well, you know, well, if, if only 7% of Tea Party protests had devolved into actual violence, probably that would be mostly peaceful as well. Completely ignoring rioting and looting to say that Trump is a racist for pointing out the rioting and looting bespeaks a particular vision of the United States that is quite ugly and is quite wrong. Hey, it is a vision of the United States shared by people like Colin Kaepernick, who's been treated as a hero like an actual hero for being an extremely wealthy, as it turns out, mediocre NFL quarterback. He had one good season and then he sucked so much that he was benched for Blaine Gabbert. And that guy knelt for the national anthem on the basis, by the way, of a shooting that happened, I believe, in Oakland that turns out was justified by the police. He wore a, he wore a pair of socks suggesting that cops were pigs. This guy is hailed as a hero. Now he is saying not only that America is deeply racist, of course, in every respect, also 
he, this, this new goodwill ambassador for the NFL, he has suggested that he is, uh, that, that the police ought to be completely defunded. He published an essay on Tuesday with a missive describing a change of heart he's experienced since holding his kneeling positions in 2017. He says he is now opposed to reforming law enforcement at all. He prefers a total abolition of police and prisons. Don't worry, he's not a radical, guys. He's not a radical. He just wants mainstream police reform. He's just worried about excessive police use of force. He's not a radical in any way, Colin Kaepernick. He's the heart and soul of racial justice reform in the United States. Under the subheadline, subheading title, F Reform, Kaepernick wrote his thinking was, quote, fastened to a reformist framework. He admitted he missed the larger picture or even major changes to policing would produce similar problems to those that, in Kaepernick's mind, currently plague law enforcement, according to Emily Zanotti for Daily Wire. The focus on individual punishment will never alter the outcome of a system rooted in black death, said Kaepernick. I wanted change. I wanted it to stop. I wanted to reform what I saw. Yet the reforms often proposed, use of force policies, body cameras, more training, police accountability, were the same recycled police reforms consistently proposed in the past. And in both the past and the present, these reforms have done nothing to stop the actions that force us to say their names. So what does he want? He wants the end of policing and the end of prisons, which is crazy. You need police to enforce the law. Colin Kaepernick needs the police to protect, presumably, his multi-million dollar estate and his very expensive cars that he, has, that he has achieved in this horrifically racist and backward country. He says, despite the steady cascade of anti-black violence across this country, I'm hopeful we can build a future that imagines justice differently. A future without the terror of policing and prisons. Terror of policing. It seems like the terror of criminals would be a more justified terror. A future that prioritizes harm reduction, redemption, and public well-being in order to create a more just and humane world. Oh, isn't that nice? Of course, this doesn't involve any solutions, as you may have noticed. He says, the ever-present threat of premature death at the hands, knees, chokeholds, tasers, and guns of law enforcement has only further ingrained its anti-black foundation into the institutions of policing. In order to eradicate anti-blackness, we must also abolish the police. The abolition of one without the other is impossible. He says that this will have wide-ranging effects, but he resists the urge to explain how ending law enforcement will result in an end to homelessness and other social ills, other than to speculate that money spent on policing will be redistributed in a way not guided by white supremacy, of course, white supremacy. He says, by abolishing policing in prisons, not only can we eliminate white supremacist establishments, we can create space for budgets to be reinvested directly into communities to address mental health needs, homelessness and houselessness, access to education and job creation, as well as community-based methods of accountability. Ah, yes, if we just dump trillions of dollars into local government initiatives focused on like, you know, say like Head Start programs or Midnight Basketball, probably that will solve the crime problems. Except that the only thing that ever solved the crime problem in the United States is more cops on the street. End of story. That's the end of it. Okay, if there is one robust finding in social science, it is that more cops on the streets means less crime. But of course, Kaepernick doesn't care about that because he doesn't have to deal with the consequences of crime. He's got the entire media massaging his shoulders as he declares the entire police establishment racist. And he's got the Democratic Party mimicking this language. It is pretty amazing stuff that Kaepernick, again, he's supposed to be a moderate. He continues to say the same things that Michelle Obama says. They keep saying things like the threat of death from law enforcement against black Americans is ever present. It is hard to think of a graver lie than this. That is such an unbelievable lie. Statistically speaking, it is not ever present. Statistically speaking, there are 42 million black Americans. In the last several years, the number of black unarmed Americans killed by the police has been under 20 out of 42 million people. But apparently the threat of death is is ever present, no matter what you are doing. Okay, this is again an attempt to draw a narrative about America that is just a lie. It is just a lie. And that lie has consequences because as it turns out, those who want to defund the police are jacking up the rates of homicide and violence. 
I love this. The Washington Post finally noticing this. Quote, the homicide rate is spiking. A troubled police department is reeling from street demonstrations seeking racial justice and accountability, and a city budget is ravaged by the coronavirus economy. This is in Oakland. The push to reshape police departments is occurring in cities across the country, but it is perhaps nowhere more evident than here in Oakland, where veteran activists want to sharply reduce the police budget, but much of the broader community is struggling with what that could mean. In a place that for the past decade has been dedicated to rethinking how it polices its people, the argument for a smaller force and larger social service agencies has gained momentum. The nearly immediate calls for cuts of up to half of the police department's $300 million budget were popular among protesters, but cutting a municipal police force in a large city has proved highly complex at a time when the economic slowdown caused by the pandemic has greatly reduced the amount of public money to go around and crime has spiked. Oakland has seen a surge in shootings and homicides, which in the second quarter of this year had more than doubled from the previous one. Violence and vandalism that have come with some of the street protests have rattled a business community that supports in principle a more preventive approach to addressing crime. One of the beautiful things about being a Democrat, about being a member of corporate America that backs this kind of anti-racist garbage, and I put anti-racist in scare quotes because that's the Ibram Kendi, Robin D'Angelo version of anti-racism, which has nothing to do with racism and everything to do with neo-Marxist claptrap. You know, the, the predictable results of this are more minorities getting hurt, more people dying, more businesses being looted, more businesses being broken into. But Colin Kaepernick doesn't have to care and Michelle Obama doesn't have to care. They don't have to care. They know full well the consequences of what they say. But since they are being back massaged by a, a democratic establishment that is perfectly willing to, and, and not just willing, eager to forward the narrative of racist America. These are the heroes. These are the heroes in America, the people who are making life worse every day for people desperately in need and more of more law enforcement, not less law enforcement, people desperately in need of more opportunity, not less opportunity, and people desperately in need of more encouragement in a free society, not the pervasively disgusting message that you are born with two strikes on you, no matter what, in the United States if you are born black, which is just a lie. All righty, we'll be back here today with two additional hours of content. Otherwise, we will see you here on Monday. Try not to wreck things this weekend. I know I say this every single weekend. I would love to come off the, the last of the Jewish holidays. I'd love to come off the last of the Jewish holidays on, on Sunday night and for things not to be on fire. So see if you could do me that little favor. If not, whatever, I'll be here to recap it with you on Monday. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producer is Nick Sheehan. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental, and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen.
Did you know that a baby's heart begins to beat at just three weeks? At five weeks, it can be heard on ultrasound. In some cases, the heartbeat can be the baby's only defense in the womb, which is where preborn steps in. Preborn rescues 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing moms with free ultrasounds that allow her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just 28 bucks, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. If you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives you helped to rescue. All gifts are tax deductible. 100% of your gift donation goes toward saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Ben. That's preborn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Preborn.com slash Ben. It's the best thing you're going to do today or maybe ever. Dial pound 250, say keyword baby. Start saving children today.